Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi folks and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. I'm your host Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is episode 196, Open House Literary Questions. I decided to create uh, another type of show for uh, our um, episodic show, uh, Strength to Be Human, because I, I noticed that there was a lot of questions uh, that, that's kind of like loose and free that really didn't always attach themselves to a particular episode. And I didn't want to leave people out, especially when I've invited people to, you know, ask what they want to ask or comment or whatever they want to comment. It doesn't always mean it's going to be connected to a show. Plus, you, you got folks, and I'm no different, okay? And I, I, I create the show and I do the show that you might have a comment that could have been connected to a show. But, you know, it might have been five or six or ten episodes ago. You don't remember exactly which one it was. So what are you supposed to do then? Not ask? So I didn't want that to happen. So I thought it was best to have this kind of a, a more looser format for this. So we'll have um, we'll have the mailbag for the actual uh, questions for shows directly, and then we'll just do this open house one for you know anything in between or miscellaneous or whatever, as long as it's literary, all right? Uh, and it was, it's worked out. I got like thirty six uh, questions, and uh, we'll only be able to do fifteen on this episode, and then we'll save the balance for for another one. We'll do down the line here, okay? But I I definitely uh, answer everything that people send me, as long as it's not you know out there in terms of the you know out of the literary realm, or if it's just you know too hateful or ridiculous. All right, let's get on with this, and I'm pretty uh, pretty excited here. And, Folks have been very uh, uh, generous and informative, so thank you. All right. If we now must judge a book by its cover before covers are and now an important marketing tool, why bash covers in an episode? Normally, I would just leave this for um, one of those shows where I just do questions on the shows because this has more to do with, uh, you know, it's about the words but I'll, I'll answer through this. That's fine. We'll have plenty of those other questions anyway. All right. Well, I'm not bashing anything. What, I, what I've said in the show, and I'll make clear to you now on this show, is it's about the words. Your writing is the most important thing. So for people to fuss and and finesse and, and, and lose their minds over a cover, and, and they have yet to figure out what they're going to do about proofreading their project or you know, uh, checking uh, for any grammar issues or having somebody else's, you know, read it and, and see what impact they have. Uh, that's all a lot more important than the cover. Now, I'm not saying that the cover is not important because it is, but it's not the first thing that's important. You know, it's a secondary issue. So that's why I say that. And I'm not really bashing covers. I think they're important for marketing purposes, but we need to give them, you know, the, the space that they belong in. And that's anything below words, period. And to think anything otherwise, well, that's how we lose track. You know, we stop being writers and we just become like marketers or something. Now, in this new world, you have to be a bit of a marketer as a writer. There's no way around that. But uh, that doesn't mean that's all you're all about. 
you're still a writer. So if you want to still be a writer, worry more about your words and less about your covers, okay? All right. Next one here. Oh, I like this one, too. It's pretty cool. All right. I know you intended making a living episode to be informative, but I felt it was bleak. Is there a way to be more upbeat? All right. The reason I like this this question is because it's an honest question. I understand it. But uh, no, there isn't anywhere to be upbeat other than if you just want me to lie to you. Yeah, all those vanity publishers are gonna get, are gonna get you to Hollywood. Give them thousands. Yeah, that that editor who has no no registration, no no organization they belong to. You just heard of them from Facebook and want thousand dollars from you so they could run your manuscript through Grammarly and spell check. Yeah, yeah, that person's on the up and up. That's the only way to be upbeat, if you want to call it that, is to lie to you. Because otherwise, I have to be informative. I have to be factual. And the factual <laughs> point of writing and getting published these days is uh, the 21st century, because so much is open now, so much is free to do, you have to do a lot more work to make it happen. And, and there's not as many publicists as there used to be. So it's harder. Doesn't mean it's impossible, because it's not. But you have to understand, uh, it's not an easy task. You know, I review people uh, from books all the time. Many of these people have gotten their, their books published in, in the university presses. I got nothing against them, but believe me, it's not a coincidence that all these people who get these books published in the university presses are people already part of academia. So, you know, they're able to get to network and find contacts and other people are willing to help them. A lot of us are not part of that. So our chances of getting into that press system, you know, are, are very small. Again, I didn't create that, but those are the facts. All right, next. I listened to all the episodes mentioning depression, and I find it encouraging that you have the strength to bring up the topic. Is there any more coming in the future? Well, thank you. And uh, I'm glad you're encouraged. I don't know about any about strength to have it, and I just think that it's it's become a vital topic. I mean, literally, talking about depression and writing is almost no different than talking about having faith in writing or, or, or your doubts in writing or your grammar in writing or, or your, your punctuation in writing. It's become just as important because it is such a sizable part of the writing community. And even to this day, it's still a stigma, and a lot of folks don't want to talk about it. You believe it or not, I get complaints from people that say, I wish you wouldn't talk about it as much. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. What, to make you feel better that it supposedly it doesn't exist? Let me not talk about it? No, no. Uh-uh. I don't live in denial. So, yeah, I, I, there will be. I, I don't want to, like, get to the point where I'm making it, you know, a coke and a smile on the, every other episodes about depression, okay? But, you know, we've had a couple in, in, in the past and in the present, and I'm sure we'll do a few more. When we find different interesting angles to go at it, we're, we're going to definitely do so. And I, I definitely think that it, it should stay uh, front and center, and that's what I'm going to do. All right? All right. Here I am, disheartened that it seems very difficult to form friendships with writers. On the whole, writers do a poor job of helping each other. How can this be repaired? All right, very good question. I had a, uh, at least uh, two different shows about that. I think a half a show one time, and then another show was all about it. This very thing about how writers should be helping writers. It's not an easy task. Um, 
from the writers I talk to, a lot of them have reasons about, well, I'm really busy, I got my own writing to do, I got a family, I got a job, this and that, whatever. The, the usual excuses that you hear from people who don't want to do anything good because, God forbid. Then you have a lot of folks here, whether they're willing to admit it or not, they don't look at writers as fellow writers. Somebody's going through some of the same stuff they're going through. To them, they're enemies. They're competitors. Oh, that's the other side. Why should I help this person? No one's helped me. Blah, 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 and more blah. All right, so you want to know how this can be repaired? Well, this is how I went about it, okay? Uh, I got a small group of people that I deal with on a regular basis that will help me proofread things, help me do some grammar check, and I will return the favor. Does it mean that I'm, I'm going to be the best man at the wedding? Huh? Does it mean I'm going to help the, the, the wife, uh, you know, uh, uh, give birth to a baby as to be a, to be one of those coaches or something? Uh, uh, does it mean that I'm going to be giving everybody back rubs? No. Probably never going to meet these people in my life. But that's not the point. The point is, is that if you want to develop any kind of friendship with anybody, including a writer, you know, you got to start off on the most practical, basic things. Things that they feel you're reliable on. Things that you have in common with them. A way for them to feel, uh, feel safe and then you can kind of go from there. And, and I'm happy with that. Anything more? I don't know. We live far away from each other these days. And a lot of the stuff we go through, uh, email, internet, um, Facebook, you know, social media, etc. So you, you're only going to know and, and do so much. I mean, if you ever thought about it, and, and I'm trying, I'm not trying to be funny here or trying to be dark or anything, but if you ever thought about it, you don't even know if the people you're talking to, even if you're working with them on a regular basis or even who they are. You don't know if that's really their gender, if that's really their name, if that's really uh, their walk of life. Is that really the photograph of them? You know? You don't know. So, uh, you, it's kind of hard to have a friendship with somebody. You don't even know if that's really the person you're talking to. Some people don't think this makes a difference. Well, uh, on a casual professional basis, on you trading favors and doing things for each other, you know, to achieve a common literary goal, it doesn't. But if you want to go deeper, where you have, you're saying, hey, this person is my friend. Well, you know, my definition of friend is, you know, something about that person. <laughs> Maybe something about their identity would be real helpful. So uh, to call somebody a friend when you don't even know what their gender is, <laughs> or anything else about, about them for that matter, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, let's use that word a little sparingly. Can we have more positive relationships with other writers? Yes. And I just gave you an example of what I do. But uh, I'm not really sitting there all day trying to psychologize, analyze everybody and talk about my childhood or something. All right? It doesn't make a lot of sense. You're dealing with people who are far away. All right. If you go on any Facebook writer's page, it's the same questions over and over again. Where do I get my book published? How do I market? Is there something odd here? Yeah, there, there is There is something odd. And one of the things I noticed, because I swear, I must have been looking at these Facebook writing pages, uh, groups and everything for about three years straight now. Okay? It's always the same nonsense. None of it makes any sense. It's obvious to me that these people are what I put in the category of impatient. Because now they wrote a book. Who knows how long it took them? Have they done anything about editing or proofreading or grammar? Have they done anything about having somebody check out their work with a beta reader, see if it has any merit or not? No, I doubt it. All they want to know is who's the publisher to get this done? How do I market? What's the secret? These are some of the same people that wind up getting robbed 
by Vanity Publishers and, and these rip-off hire for editors people. That's why, this is the kind of people they are. They, they Eventually, they succumb to these kind of people because they're not really taking anything. So, yeah, it, it is odd. To me, it's odd is that why you're telling me you've been writing all for a year and now you, you're wondering about how to publish your book and how to market it. You don't think you'd have some questions after only writing for a year about writing in general? About if there's a market for the subject you're writing about? So someone check it out and see what kind of quality it is? None of these comes come, comes up to you? Somehow you solved all of this in a year. I've been writing 36 years, folks. Okay? It's always a new project. It's always something new. You, you don't have all the answers. A lot of it's going to get solved by you working with other people. So, yeah, it is odd. Somehow they miraculously figured out how to do everything we've all been working on for 10, 20, 30 years. Okay. All right. That was number five. Number six. I caught your poem, Mosaic of a Forgotten Messiah, and was enthralled on how you kept art first and any so-called message in the background. Yet, this is a religious-oriented poem published in an openly religious publication. How do you do it? Is there a balance of some kind? Thank you for that. That's very kind of you. And w without trying to sound too gruff or too direct, there is no balance because there can be no balance at all. If you have a message, I don't care if you're a communist or you're a Christian, uh, you, you could be a Buddhist, all right? Whether you have a message deep down inside or just ready to, to roar in the front of your head, your first job as a writer is to be an artist. You need to be able to create something that's artful. Okay? That's metaphoric. That's interesting. That's obeying some kind of the structure, whether it's one that's already been out there or one you just create yourself. It has to be art first. It has to be a poem first. It has to be fiction first. It has to be an essay first. All the other stuff, that's secondary. And I can tell you right now, I mean, I've written over 600 poems, and I don't even think but two of them might even have had any kind of religious theme. Okay? This is one of them. I only wrote it the, uh, last year. I just was sort of like in the mood to finally write something like that. I wanted to, I, I worked on it a while to make sure that it obeyed the things I'm telling you about now. Because if there's anybody who uh, practices with his preachers, that's me. Yeah, but you, you have pitfalls in some of this stuff. Even when you obey what I've obeyed and put together a poem that was solid, both artistically and have a bit of a, a social religious message to it, you got to find some place that's willing to accept it. I mean, I was fortunate to find a magazine that, that had a sort of religious uh, slant to it and accepted it. A lot of places didn't want it at all. So that, that you kind of you put yourself in a, you know, a literary ghetto, so to speak, when you do something like that. And that's the problem. It's no different uh, a religious theme uh, piece of work than if it's science fiction or horror, you know, I mean, erotica, whatever. Whatever it is, when you put yourself in that category, you're stuck there. You can't. You're not going to get too many people willing to cross over. You know, you're not going to have somebody with a religious magazine saying, "Yeah, I'm going to take that erotic poem from you." It's not really too graphic. I think we can roll with this, and that's not going to happen. Okay, and you're not going to a lot of people that that write strictly literary stuff, uh, and many of them quite atheistic about things. They're not going to suddenly, uh, you know, write about uh, you know the, the people forgetting uh, Christ as an important message for the world. No, they're like, "Are you nuts?" So that's how you have to go about it. That's what I did it. I can tell you, uh, I might never write another religious poem in the rest of my life. Okay? I mean, really. Because I, I think I'm, at this point, I'm writing once every 20 years or something. <laughs> so, because uh, I've only written like two. 
And this one came out really good. In fact, it came out well enough that I feel comfortable that I think I might have got my message of what I wanted to do across, and that was it. There's really nothing more beyond that. A lot of this stuff in my, in my feeling about religions is what you practice in your daily life. And that's not something you write about. It's something you actually do. I like to see more people do stuff instead of write about this religion. Okay? Number seven. Really, a fan of the show, and especially one where you call for writers to help each other and help you other, other writers, which is more of the case. Writing is a solitary task, but it can be utterly lonely without chatting with other writers. How do I differently? How do I do something differently in order to get more social? I had a paraphrase, or you know, rewrite some of these questions based on uh, how they came out. Some of my international listeners, English is not their first language, so I I help them with this. I thank you, and God bless you for writing in. Okay, all right. So I I don't want to sound rough on this, but if you want to know what you want to do something differently. One of the things you should consider seriously, and I mean this from my heart, is you might want to have relationships or friendships with people who are not writers. Not because there's anything wrong with writers. It's just that most of the times when you reach out to somebody, you're going to be talking and, and chatting and, and emailing and writing other writers that live a million miles away. These are not exactly people you can see at the Rotary Club. You know what I mean? You're not going to meet them at the restaurant or hang out with them at the gym or... You know, meet them at the the local uh, community meeting. You, you're not gonna you're not gonna have the privilege of doing something like that. So, if you want to have more human contact, you're probably better off having it with people who are not writers. That's really how I think you could be more social. Again, if you just want to, or you really think that it's important to have some kind of contact with other writers, offer your services to help spell check, to help read, to give a little commentary on something that somebody has. People can use that kind of help, and they'd be willing to help you in return. And sometimes that that that's a beautiful beginning, you know, of a relationship or a friendship with writers. Sometimes that's just the best way of going about it. Okay. All right. Thank you for that question. All right. Number eight. Let's see what we got here. All right. Number eight. Glad I didn't agree to be on this show. It could be tedious and boring. The rest of us don't really care about depression or writer's block. Stick to writing and stop making me fall asleep. As you can see, that was a lovely uh, person full of, I don't know, anger or despair or whatever you want to call it. But let me tell you, a person of anger and despair. <laughs> okay. Third year on the show now, okay. And we have literally thousands of people that listen. People from all over the different parts of the world. Alright? So, that means that uh, statistically, at least, there's probably going to be a couple people just like you that find it tedious and boring. Why you didn't want to be on the show, I don't know. That's really up to you and, and God. Okay? Uh, the point about the depression in writer's block, well, these are important things for writers to know about. And I don't like to be other, the other few shows that are out there don't even talk about them at all. So maybe you can go follow those shows and see if they're willing to talk or interview you. But these things are important to other people. And when you got like 40% of the writing community uh, dealing with, with some form of depression, I, I don't think they should be ignored, and I don't think it should be tucked under some rug. And th that shouldn't be in denial just because it makes you feel weird. Maybe you're one of the people in depression too. Maybe you need my show more than you realize. Maybe you need a therapist, or maybe you just need to go to another show. 
But what I do understand is this. No matter who gets upset and, and no matter how many people walk away, I still believe in the show. I still believe I'll, I'll gain more of an audience who continue to, to grow. And, and that's all I can do is, is, is believe in it. I couldn't do this show if I didn't believe in it. So I'm sorry you don't. You might need a dose of face over here. All right. And if I'm helping you fall asleep, well, it, it sounds like you have a person that has sleeping problems anyway. So maybe in that respect, I'm doing you a favor. Get some rest. You need it. All right, number nine, creating a petition for you to truly consider doing a show on Stephen King. Realize he's not your cup of tea, but he should have an episode. Please reconsider. You know, he's not my cup of tea. Uh, and I thought about it a few times, and I'll think about it some more. Okay, I'm sure I could probably do something that talks a little bit about the difficulty from the transition of his books to the movies in Hollywood. The few books I do actually like and some of the short stories I like that he's done. But it's a small handful. It's not going to cover all this guy's works. And, and quite frankly, the reason he's at my cup of tea is because I, I don't really find him very literary. And if I do a show, I'll literally read some of the passages from a couple of his books. Even the ones I like. You're going to go, wow. What was that? I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize the guy. I'm just saying that it, it doesn't ring with me. But I've had a number of people ask me already. Eventually, I'm probably going to have to do it just because, you know, I think the audience at, at a certain point, as they're following you along and, and listening to the other shows and all the things you're doing, you know, you got to try to give them something back. So I think I'm going to eventually have to do it. Probably sometime this year, okay? But thank you for the question. Number 10. Very happy with the journal interview of Bombfire, and I'm praying you do more. Do you have any ready for release yet? Uh, no, I don't. And here's the issue, okay? Magazines, as you must know already as a writer who submits to magazines, they don't respond quickly in general on anything, all right? So if you want a regular uh, uh, interviews of, of, of fiction or poetry magazines or whatever, well, that's not going to happen because uh, what am I supposed to do? With, they're not like a writer where I, I could talk to them on email or something and get back to me a day or two. I mean, magazines get back to you a month or two, three sometimes. And a lot of times I'm waiting three months just for somebody to say, you know, we're not really interested. We don't really see what this can, this can do for us. Some, uh, uh, you know, just don't feel they can they can manage doing it. Some of them don't like the idea. A couple of them told me, well, don't you think it's a conflict of interest since we published you? Yeah, you published a poem of mine six years ago. I I'm not really sure what conflict of interest you're talking about. You know, in fact, and I made it really clear when I did the bonfire one that, you know, they published my fiction piece. It didn't alter the show. It doesn't do anything. I'm not out there praising every single thing on the show about them because they published me. It's nothing like that at all. It's it's a real interview. Artistic people and trying to learn things about each other, and and hopefully the audience learns something too. So yeah, I'd like to be able to do something. I have a couple more in mind that I'm trying at, but it, it's it's a, it's a definitely a struggle. It's even harder than getting uh, writers in general on the show. But what are you gonna do? I keep trying, and when it happens, it happens. That's really all I can do. I believe in the idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. Just uh, not so easy to convince everybody else, I guess. All right, number 11. This is the third year for Strength to be Human, and there really aren't that many shows out there doing literary things on any front. How do you stay fresh and relevant? Thank you very much for noticing that. I, I mentioned this to somebody that asked me a similar question when we were chatting one day. I, I, I just told them just from my heart. 
I do the shows on the topics that I find interesting. To me, it's no different than being a rock and roller act when people ask them in interviews, man, how'd you get all these songs together? Well, we have to do songs as a group that we feel comfortable about, we feel strong about because they have to. Not only are they recording them, but quite frankly, they're out there doing concerts, maybe singing that song, you know, 30, 40, 50 times in, in a year. And if you don't like what you're doing on that, that's 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 like torture. So it's really the same thing. I don't like doing shows at all where I find it's boring. I'm just trying to fill the air up or do some, well, I got that episode out of the way and let's go on to do something else I want to do. No, I, I do all the shows that I like to do that I find interesting. Not all of them land, you know, in terms of the downloads uh, as others do. So that happens, you know. You got other shows that you can't believe how many people listen to it. And I got other ones that's like, wow, I'm glad there was 100 people that listened to the thing. So that, that happens. You know, you go from thousands to hundreds. So you don't know what's going to uh, pique somebody's interest or not. But the important thing is it piqued my interest. And I have to be able to feel solid about that. Not because uh, I'm some self-centered freak. Uh, it's not because I'm some sort of, you know, selfish weirdo or anything. The truth of the matter is, is that how can I convey something to you with any kind of conviction or passion if I don't even really like it or believe it myself? So that's really the first thing that has to be, hey, I'm behind this, and I'm telling you about this. That's really it, in, in, in a nutshell. But thank you for that question. All right. Well, I notice you are gaining an international audience. There are not as many international interviews on the show. Please elaborate on how this can increase. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly elaborate, but I don't know how it's going to increase. Um, a perfect example would be... Um, even some of the questions I've had to do just for this show. I had to work some of the English in there because it's English is not their second language. That's a little easier to do when someone is emailing you. It can't be done in an interview. If somebody is not really conversant in English, it just won't work. I've had a lot of people ask me, well, Mark, can you just funnel the questions over? And I said, no, I can't. I don't work a show that way. I don't work a show that has set questions that I send to people. We're not a canned show. I don't do stuff like that. I let the person talk about their life and their work. I might do a couple of questions that, that happen to come to my mind as we're talking, and that's it. There isn't anything written down. You know, and how would I do that anyway? How do you think that's going to sound? Yeah, here's 10 questions. And then um, since you're not really conversing on English too much, I'll read the questions for you as well as the answers. I mean, what's the point of even per having the person on the show? So I think on an uh, uh, incident interview, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work too bad at all, but not on the, on the show. I, I not, so I made it really clear to people as politely as I can, you know, unless you're willing to have a translator right there who can translate what you're saying back and forth to us, where you can have two people on the show and me, well, which we've done before. We haven't done translate yet, but we've done, you know, where we had two people before, um, then... We really can't have a, a show like that. So hopefully one day somebody is going to have, you know, a, a translator. Now, it's not like I haven't done any international, uh, you know, interviews. I've done a few from England. I've done a few from Canada. And, and I'm going to be doing one from Australia here in the early summer. So, and, and sure, they're all English language countries. Sorry, but can't say I haven't done any. 
But I'm looking forward to other countries. I'm fine with me. I just got to be able to have someone that can converse well enough. I don't care if you have a bad accent. I don't even care if your English is not the best. As long as you can understand what I'm saying, as long as we can kind of get an idea of what you're conveying from us in a reasonable fashion, I'm willing to do it. All right, let's go on to number 14. There we go. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm going to number 13. <laughs> All right. It's surprising and somewhat sad, but you allow critics, naysayers, and generally mean people to make comment on these episodes. What is the purpose to give daylight to dunces? <laughs> love, love, love the daylight to dunces. I'll tell you that. I can tell that's a writer. <laughs> love that stuff. All right. Um, I, part of it, part of it, to be honest with you, is. Uh, you know, I'm an Italian guy from New Jersey, so as a military veteran, you know, I'm not one to get pushed around by anybody. So I have no problem beating up the bully. And in this particular case, I don't have I don't have any problem letting the bully speak. I'm not afraid. I'm not doing anything wrong. There's nothing I'm ashamed about. I'm nothing I'm trying to hide from. So as long as they're not doing the same things hateful, which I'm not going to repeat on the show, I'm not allowed to anyway, according to the network. Um, I don't have a problem doing that, so I'll let the negative stuff go through. I mean, I'm not lying to you. I'm a human just like you are. So, I mean, I, I was like, who the hell does spend time just talking dumb stuff like this? But it happens. You know, you got some people out there that, you know, they, uh, they're hateful. What are you going to do? So that's the reason why. And, and I think it's good for people to hear other, other voices, even if it is something negative and horrible. It's good. It helps them balance what's going on. Most of the charges you spank, of course, are completely ridiculous, and people can tell. So they know where this stuff is coming from. It's not like, a, you know, they're, they're somehow sophisticated evil people. They're not. All right, number 14. I hear in the episodes the recurring theme of impatience and how it damages or forces writers into poor decisions. Talk further on this subject. All right, well, we'll talk a little bit about this subject because I have another episode that's coming up about impatience in uh, in May, and that'll be that'll really cover a lot of it. Okay, but impatience to me, and I really attribute it to people that just rush off to these shady publishers that don't do anything but steal your money, charge you for typesetting. Whoever heard of that kind of crap? It's ridiculous. There is no such thing. If you're getting char charged for anything, you ought to be running. Okay. Or charge you for editing, and they're not really editing. People get complaining to me all the time. I spent a thousand dollars. The book seems to be the same. They said they caught a couple spelling errors and a few grammars. I, really, you could have got that done for free and saved you a thousand dollars, or you could have just went into the self-publishing world, create your own little company, and put your book out and sell it that way and gotten your money back. But don't waste it on these people. That's what impatience is all about. It's the impatience of thinking somehow. You're going to get the holy grail on the social media and, and other writers are going to give you some secret to some great publisher that can handle everything, some great marketing technique, this, that, and whatever. That's what some patience is all about. It's the most, I, I feel, the, the most recurring sin I see in, in writing uh, for, for ages now is that. And it really, it really hurts people and, and it definitely ruins their chances to be any kind of a real writer in the future. All right, last one of the show. Uh, you make a point in the show to express your belief in faith as it relates to believing in your abilities and their eventual publication. You should do another show just on faith. Well, thank you, because I am. I'm doing another show just on faith in May. All right, so that's going to be very fun and interesting to do. 
talk a little bit further about it, but yes, uh, it's to me, when I talk to people about having faith in their abilities or faith in their writing, you know, faith in what's going to happen when they send it out there, it's no different than what I do on this show every time I do this show. I mean, just because I've done this many shows right now doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm just a gigantic barrel full of faith. You know, I got to look at the numbers. I got to look at the comments I get. You know, my own feelings, other things that I'm doing in my life. I got to be able to believe what I'm doing. If I don't, it makes it really hard, you know, to, to do that. It really is. And I've had shows. I don't have to mention the shows. But I've had shows where it's taken me longer to put that show on. Because in that particular episode or that particular topic or whatever that I was putting together for it, you know, I didn't have enough faith in it. So I, I couldn't do the show until I have that. It's really no different than going downtown with your car. You can't go down there with an empty gas tank. you got to have something in that gas tank if you're going to move and go somewhere. That's really what faith is. And and I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter whether you have a little bit of faith, a lot of bit of faith, or an ocean full of faith. Having some faith, not only is it better than nothing, it's the starting point for you going anywhere you know, in your writing career. All right, folks, that is the end of that episode, episode 196. And that was um, Open House Literary Questions. Let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing in May. Um, towards the end of this week, we'll be having the, the show on the uh, thoughts on Emily Dickerson. That's going to be interesting because, ironically, it's probably the first show that I've done with on a writer where I'm able to talk about a lot of these topics, okay? And that's going to be the show that's in the end of the month. Uh, the, the one before that is going to be Fighting the Superficial to Find the Truth. But I, I like this Emily Dickinson show because it's going to be a, a real case of some of the things we talk about that you need to do or you need to avoid in writing that she really didn't do. I mean, it might have worked out for her in terms of that we're still reading her and she's still important. But, uh, you know, it's sad that none of this stuff happened while she was alive. So, um, can we... It's important that, that, to have something done while you're still alive because it, just to help validate your own existence or anything. But um, that didn't happen for her. All right. I don't have all of May put together yet, but I got a couple of uh, titles of some shows I'm going to be doing. Okay, so first I'm going to be doing a show called Impatience Leads to Literary Disasters. All right, that's a show on impatience. I got another one on fear called Fear is Not Your Shepherd. And then uh, another one, and that is Doubt Dies of Thirst in a Rainstorm. I know. These are kind of fun titles. I kind of like putting them together. So they're going to be fun episodes. I got a few more, of course, in May. As we go on, I'm going to be um, trying to record a few extras in May. So this way it can cross over into early June because towards the end of May into, into early June, I'll be going on vacation for the first time in a couple of years ever since this COVID thing happened. Happy to do so. Get out of the house, get out of the town, get away, go find some shark teeth, find some cool shark shells and, uh, not shark shells, seashells, <laughs> and, and have some fun with the kids. All right. All right, folks. Until next time, God bless. Take care. Uh, thank you for writing and, and for listening and for supporting. Ironically, I even got to thank the naysayers. Okay. You're still helpful. God bless you all. Good night. Thank you for listening. 
Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.